This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined by Ellison Wiest. Hello, Ellison. Hey, Sarah. How are you? I am well, thank you. Good, good, good. So what you been reading lately? Oh, uh, I actually finished a book by the author Paul Harding, who some people may remember uh, wrote Tinkers, uh, mm. his debut, which won a Pulitzer, actually. Mm. Wow. Yeah. This latest book is called The Other Eden, and mm. uh, it's based on a true story about an island that was off the coast of Maine, and it's believed to be one of the first integrated townships or dwellings mm. in the United mm-hmm. States late in the 1700s. Wow. When we get there, it's 1912. It's populated by about 20 to 25 souls, and the uh, city across the bay on Mainline, Maine, has got their eye on it for a couple of reasons. Mm. They'd like to get the land. Plus, this was a time period when eugenics was becoming very oh boy, yeah, mm. uh, prevalent. And of course, there are all these mixed race people on the island, and this was considered, you know, not a good thing. And they were mm. concerned about not only what these people were like, meaning that they figured they were all simpletons. And then what Mm. would happen if some of these people began coming into the mainland? Mm. So I'll leave you with that part. You can take it. It's got some very beautiful writing. It's got a couple sort of vignettes or parts about uh, one young man who actually does leave the island because he's extremely talented artist. And I, I think it will appeal to people that like uh, very good writing. The writing is, is incredible. Mm. And also, you know, historical fiction that is extremely well-researched and well-written with mm. great characters. Mm. Nice. And then uh, you and I both had mothers that were readers. And mm-hmm. I have returned to one of my mother's favorite authors, Anthony Trollope. 
And oh. uh, <laughs> I've started um, the first in the Barsetshire <laughs> Chronicles, which is a series of six books that Trollope wrote all in a row, all about the same people. And this one is called The Warden. Mm. And it just is that very uh, British, heavily on characters. He's also sort of mm. poking fun of the Anglican church. Mm. Um, and this book is only about 180 pages. So that's the first mm. in the six books. I looked up the second book and it's over 500 pages. <laughs> <laughs> so the, av- the average uh, kind of yeah. the gates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just, I, I'm just enjoying it. It's what I need right now. And it makes me, you know, feel closer to my mother. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. I'm embarrassed to say, even though I was an English major, I've never read Trollope. Well, don't be embarrassed. I mean, the first book that I read, my mother sort of said, here, try this and see. And or she said, I'm sending you this book. It turned out to be over 800 pages, you know, <laughs> the way we live now. And I was like, good Lord. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. I needed yeah. a doorstop. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Well, what about you? So I just finished a 403-page book, A Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Ozeki. And it is the Everybody Reads 2023 book, which means that here in Multnomah County, which, as you know, is where Portland is, we have a very strong library network, again, as you know, Allison. And so they choose a book every year that they encourage all the residents of Portland to read. And so that you can go to the library and get a copy for free and keep it. There's no returning it. And then there are events during the year, or perhaps maybe just during the beginning of the year, with the author and with other people who might be able to speak to the topic of the book addresses and things like this. So it is very interesting. And the reason I read it, one, it was for book group, but more importantly, two, is that my son John started reading it. Oh. And he he is not a big reader. And he had texted me, he's like, Mom, I'm reading the best book. And I asked him what it was, and he told me this was before I knew it was the Everybody Reads Books book. So I said, oh, is it fiction or nonfiction? He said, I'm not sure. Like, okay, um, I don't understand that answer. And But true to form, it is very much the... That one of the characters in it, the modern day character, is named Ruth, just like the author is. Although it took me to about page three hundred to realize that one. And, um, and then when I said it at book group, Molly turns to me and she goes, "That never occurred to me." I'm like, "Yes, that's why you're my best friend." <laughs> exactly. Come here, P. Let's get back in our pod. And. Uh, And it switches between Ruth, who lives on a very remote island on the other side of the country, actually on the other side of Canada. Um, It's north of Vancouver. And she finds this diary and a notebook and a watch that wash up onto the beach. And she thinks it might be from the tsunami, although it kind of got there a little early. And so then she starts reading this. and, And Ruth, in real life and in the novel, is fluent in Japanese, so she was able to read in Japanese. And so it's about this teenage girl, young teenage girl, who's just going through a really tough time in her life. She gets bullied, and her father has lost his job. And, and it's just, oh, it's just really interesting. And, and it's gets a little metaphysical. She had the uh, Japanese girl has a grandmother who's 104, who's a, a Buddhist monk. 
So it's very interesting. I found it very engaging. And I got to tell you that, okay, so I really put the hammer down because I was like, I am going to finish this book by Monday night's book group. So I had to read about 200 pages over the weekend. And after I finished it, and and it has really full pages, Mm -hmm. and it's not a small book, meaning top to bottom. So there's a lot of words on the page is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And that... Uh, after I was finished, I, I kind of felt a loss, a little hole in my oh, life that are, I was like, oh, I love that you know, feeling. I, I, I know. <laughs> and that, that like, wait, there's there, I can't, I was turning to something beforehand and now, oh, right. It's the book. I'm done with mm. it. So I need to find another book that can fill that small hole. Yeah. So yeah, they're few and far between. I, I find. Yeah. 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 So I, it's a, it's a daring book for a city to choose to have everybody reads because there are, is a, I don't know. There's a couple graphic parts in it. So, but you know, that's Portland. Yeah. So yep. <laughs> love it. Yes. Love it or leave that's it. <laughs> that's exactly. And I had forgotten that they allowed you to keep the book. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, to walk into a library and just, hi, I'm here to get the Everybody Reads book. Oh, they're over there. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. And just walk yeah. out. I mean, it's, it's like you're getting away with something. Yes. It's fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of John, how's the, yes. uh, the, Waiting game for colleges. That's exactly what we're in, a waiting game. Whoa. He had his final callback auditions. He had, he and I, I mentioned on a previous episode that he and I went out to Los Angeles for his Carnegie Mellon at a thing called Unified. That's why uh, Pittsburgh University was there in Los Angeles. We had representatives there. So he did that in person. And then last Friday, he did a Zoom callback audition for University of Southern California. Wow. And so did that, moved all the furniture in our bedroom off to one side so he had enough room to do the dance that he'd learned through video and that everybody who was had a callback had to do. And then sing two songs, do a monologue or two. And so it was a day off from school because of, you know, teacher prep day or whatever. And so there were just far too many people in our house. And I told... and. John was like, can you ask everybody to leave? So then, of course, I catch the ire of asking everybody to leave. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Daphne's like, Mom, what am I supposed to do? I'm like, it's one in the afternoon. You, There are many things you could do. <laughs> so, and it was it was for all of you know 15 or 20 Ooh. minutes oh, so but i made ask. her leave for yeah oh, i know i i'm like this is your twin brother honey do you think you can do this for him and so i took the dog to the dog park and and i think i think i let jack works my husband works in the basement so i think he was able to say but i told him do not leave the basement stay in the basement <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't want John to feel self-conscious because, right. you know, when you when you sing loud enough for an audition on the second floor, you definitely can hear him on the first floor. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I really enjoyed hearing him doing warm-up exercises, and he has some very moving song selections, including one from the musical Titanic. Oh. Anyway, so I loved hearing it. So now, yes, now it's just a game of waiting around. And then, yes, mm. we shall see. Mm. We shall see. And, and got to see who gives some money because uh, three kids in college. Yeah. <laughs> I have yeah. yet to find the tree in our yard that grows money. So, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> you got to go on more runs and find uh, yeah. more, <laughs> yeah. more money. Yeah, a, whole, a whole lot more change. Yeah. 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 
Oh my goodness. Well, uh, February is American Heart Month, a time when all people can focus on their cardiovascular health. And it's become a tradition around these AMR parts to do a quote unquote heart health episode each February. So today we're talking to two women runners who recently had major heart incidents. Our first guest is a name that'll be familiar to folks who were at our retreat last October here in Portland. Amanda Ryan Fear was a presenter at that retreat. And then in late November, Amanda experienced chest pain and had to undergo emergency open heart surgery for a tear in her aorta. Amanda is a women's leadership coach, the mother of a 12-year-old daughter, an avid equestrian, a runner, and a former rower, plus a podcast host. Her pod is called the Is This All There Is? Thanks for sharing your story with us today, Amanda. Yeah, thanks for the intro. Thanks for the opportunity to talk. Hey, Amanda, it's Ellison here. And uh, I, before we get to the details about what must have been a very scary incident, we want to know a little bit more about you. Can you explain more about uh, what is a women's leadership coach and what kind of work you do for your clients? Sure. So I work with people who identify primarily as high achieving women. And most of my clients seem to be in their 40s to their 60s. And that's not necessarily who I market to specifically, but I think that's a time in our lives where we've checked all the boxes of success and we look around and we think, wait a minute, I tried to have it all. Why am I not happy or fulfilled? And why am I just tired? So the work I do with my clients is to help them figure out what they actually want from life rather than what everybody else has told them to want. Mm. And I help Mm. them really remove the limiting beliefs that are holding them back from creating the kind of life that they really want. So I've learned that most women, myself included, we have a vision for our lives, but we spend so much time telling ourselves that we can't have what we want, that we either tell ourselves we don't actually know what we want, or we put in barriers to going after what we want. So if it's a job, it's like, oh, I might not make enough money. I might not have enough vacation time. So I help look at those fears and help really make them not an obstacle to going after their dreams and goals. Nice, nice, nice. I should mention you're also going to be at our Redmond retreat. So if people like what they hear, they can spend time with you out in Redmond. So Amanda, you and I go way back to the late 20 aughts when you and I were both rowers here in Portland. Tell us a bit about your sporty side before last November. Yeah, so I do all sorts of fun stuff. Um, I don't row anymore, but I do miss Mm -hmm. it. Neither do I. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Same. Mm -hmm. And after breaking each of my legs in two separate accidents, one skiing, one mountaineering, I don't run so much anymore, Mm -hmm. but I rock climb, I surf, I ride horses, I love to hike. I just, I like to be outside moving my body. Well, talking about your body, I think it's time to tell us a about what must have been a truly frightening and humbling experience. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want the full the full story or the, the TMI? <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> tell us what you think is are the most important parts and. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think first off, what's most important is that I'm fairly young. I'm 47. I don't have a history of heart disease in my family. I eat right. I get lots of exercise. So I'm stereotypically pretty healthy. 
And so what happened was in November, it was actually exactly three months ago today, Mm. I was fighting either a cold or the flu or something. So I'd spent the morning in bed. I'd canceled my calls. And I got up to do my afternoon group coaching call because I didn't want to miss that. Came into my office and my heart started beating really rapidly. Hmm. And I thought, well, it's a weird time to have a panic attack. I'm not stressed about anything. (laughs) Um, And I started having, I wouldn't call it chest pain, but I would call it chest discomfort. Like, basically, I knew something was wrong. So I went back into my bedroom and luckily my husband was home. He works from home also and called him into the bedroom. And I was like, here's what's going on. I think we need to call 911. Mm -hmm. And there's so many factors that fell into place that resulted in me living, (laughs) Mm -hmm. to put it bluntly, where if they'd gone in a different direction, I wouldn't have had the same outcome. So for example, when I was first thinking about calling 911, I had the thought that I think a lot of a lot of women do that was like, or maybe I could just lie down for a while and see if it gets better. Like I don't want to inconvenience anyone. There are plenty of other people who probably need emergency services right now. What if they get out here and it's nothing? That'll be so embarrassing. Mm. Like these were, this was the the monologue that was going on in the back of my head. But thankfully, I listened to my instincts because I, I knew something was wrong, and I communicated mm. to my husband something was wrong. And then he was like, "Well, maybe you should just rest for a little bit. <laughs> maybe you should, you know, just see what happens." So anyway, so we called nine one one. They came out did a bunch of tests and they couldn't find anything, but I was still having the discomfort. I still was having the rapid heart rate. And so they said, we're taking you to the, to the hospital. So went to the ER, was checked out by the triage nurse, and then she didn't find anything. So then I proceeded to to sit in the emergency room, waiting room for an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And so I thought, well, it must not be anything with my heart because if it was, they would be really worried about me and they would be examining me right now. So I had convinced myself I had pneumonia because I'd been fighting this cold for so long. So I finally was seen by an ER doc and it was actually the same doc that I saw a month prior to that when I was kicked in the face by a horse. So that was a fun reunion. (laughs) And um, he asked me if I had a heart murmur because he had listened to my heart. And I said, no, I've never had anything happen with my heart. So he pulled in a colleague of his who was a cardiologist. And long story short, the cardiologist diagnosed that I had had an aortic dissection. Mm. So I had no idea what that was. Turns out what that is, is that it's a tear in the interior aortic wall. So Mm -hmm. there are three layers to our aorta, I've learned since, and my interior wall tore. So what was happening and what he was hearing was that my blood was being, instead of going through my aorta like it was supposed to, it was getting trapped in this pocket that Mm. could have caused my heart to explode. So then stuff got real. Um, (laughs) Real fast. Yeah. And I, I was at a hospital 
in the Portland suburbs and they didn't have a surgeon who did the type of surgery that I needed. So I was quickly ambulanced to our level one trauma hospital here in the Portland area. And ironically, so I used to be a high school teacher and one of my former students was one of the EMTs. And so oh my goodness. I was trying to process this whole thing that was happening to me because I went from maybe having pneumonia to having emergency open heart surgery. Mm. Wow. And so it was really nice having him there just as a friendly face. Mm. And at this point, I hadn't really processed how serious it was yet. Like I've had a bunch of surgeries just from accidents and random things happening. And so it hadn't hit me how serious this was until one of the other EMTs said, do you do yoga or meditate or do any other mindset work? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. And he said, now would be a really good time to do that. (laughs) (laughs) And that's that's when I thought, oh, crud. Um, So I get to I get to the other hospital and meet the surgeon, meet the team that will be there, meet the anesthesiologist. The EMTs hand me off. At this point, my husband and daughter are there because they followed the ambulance in my husband's car. And I was, I'm going to get emotional here because this is what was so hard was I was texting friends of mine who have kids. And I was saying, please, if something happens to me, please take Mm. care of my daughter. Because I couldn't imagine leaving her without a mom. Mm. Yeah. And I had to say goodbye to her and goodbye to my husband. And the next, then I was whisked off to surgery. And the next thing I knew, I woke up after the surgery and I told the nurse, I said, I feel like I'm fighting for my life because I had such a hard time breathing and coming out of the anesthesia. So luckily, I had an amazing nursing staff. I was in the hospital for five days, and they took very good care of me. And I think my main takeaway was just that, A, I listened to my instincts and listened to, yeah, I listened to my instincts and got help Mm -hmm. where... I tried to talk myself out of getting help and then everything fell into place exactly as it needed to, exactly when it needed to. Because later on, I found out that only 3% of people survive aortic dissection. Oh my gosh. Wow. 3%. Um, Yeah. So I went from suffering a head cold to almost dying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. And so that was three months ago and I've been on the road to recovery. I go to cardiac rehab three times a week, which is basically physical therapy for your heart. Mm. And I bought a treadmill, which is my new favorite thing. So I try to walk every day. I'm back to riding my horse. Um, but really, I think it's the, the mental and emotional recovery that's been so much harder for me than the physical recovery. Mm. Mm. Wow. Wow. Well, well, we're just so glad you're still here. Yeah. Thanks. So, yeah. I mean, do they chalk it up to you being on the younger end of things or that you were healthy or I mean, what, is there any, or Or that you listened to yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think all of the above. Mm, mm. Mm -hmm. All right. right. Okay. Well, we're going to take a short break. Let people process that for a second. (laughs) Uh, We're also going to hear from the folks who make this show possible. And when we return, we'll hear more from Amanda as well as our second guest. Stay with us. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, Amanda, um, so you're a wellness coach who helps women with their mindsets, Mm -hmm. but how has it been for you, you know, to process the emotional ramifications of your open heart surgery and then going forward, your recovery? Yeah, it's been a journey for sure. Um, So I have a coach and I will always have a coach because I wholeheartedly believe in coaching and the benefits of coaching. And in addition to my coach, I've started working with a therapist to unpack everything that's happened. Because like I said earlier, there's the physical recovery, which has not been horrible for me. It's 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 been a road for sure, but it hasn't been it hasn't been as challenging as the mental and emotional recovery and just coming to terms with everything being fine in my body until suddenly something was horribly wrong mm-hmm. and really coming to terms with my own mortality. And I think, um, you know, you have a vague idea that you'll die someday, but my grandparents lived until their nineties. My parents lived until their seventies and eighties. I figured I had some time and then suddenly it was, maybe I don't have some time. So really getting help with seeing patterns in my thinking and processing the emotions that come up as they come up instead of resisting them has been really powerful. It sounds like if I'm hearing you correctly, that uh, advice you could give for for other women who are are dealing with, say, a similar health curveball are that not only listening to your body, but going forward, listening uh, to your emotions, getting help with dealing with those as well as with the physical manifestations. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I think I don't. I don't want to group in all women in this population, but at least with myself and a lot of the women that I know, we're used to going at things alone and just powering through things. And I couldn't do that. Like we have seven horses on our property that Mm. I take care of. And thankfully, I have some amazing friends who pitched in and have been doing so much work around the farm for us. Yeah, I think the part that's, that's been the biggest growth for me is realizing that I can't do it alone. And grappling with reaching out for help, um, especially as I'm feeling better because I still am not a hundred percent and I still, I still have limited energy. So instead of doing my normal routine of just pushing, 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 I have to actively step back and ask for that help and ask for that support, which has been a journey in and of itself. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Three months passes kind of in the blink of an eye, so I'm, I'm, you know, not surprised that you still feel very much that you are still on your your recovery journey. So, 
At our retreat, you talked about overwhelm. That was the topic in Portland. And that I can only imagine that the sensation has been your frequent sidekick these last few months. And so if that's been the case, how have you dealt with it in addition to relying on friends? What were some of the other things? Mm, That's a good question. Definitely having my coaching bag of tricks has helped. And part of the reason that I'll always have my own coach is we can't We can't see our blind spots, Mm. but one of the things that's really helped me with overwhelm is recognizing that overwhelm is what I call an indulgent emotion. Mm. And what I mean by that is pretty much every other emotion that we have spurs us into action. So it causes us to either take action to get more of an emotion that we want to feel or action to get less of an emotion that we don't want to feel. But overwhelm just keeps you stuck in a cycle. And so really being able to recognize even before this, this incident, I've really been able to train myself to not let my brain go into overwhelm because Mm. it's not helpful. It just keeps you stuck in that cycle. And so that's been helpful to let me really slow it down. Like when I start thinking into the future too much, about all of the things that need to get done and who's going to do them and in my business and keeping that rolling as I'm recovering. And I notice myself start to get stuck in that cycle. I'm able to step back. And I think that's really helpful to be able to acknowledge when you start feeling overwhelmed, to be able to press pause and say, oh, wait, this is not going to help me. This is not getting me anywhere productive. I need to take a step back and take a deep breath and really reevaluate what's important and what's not important. Hmm. Good advice. Good advice. And you had earlier, um, you mentioned having friends that have been a, a big help. And, you know, I know that when something traumatic like this happens in the life of a loved one or a dear friend, it can be so tough to know what to do, you know, how to offer help. So as a recipient of all this love and support, what advice can you give us who, you know, when we might be kind of stymied as to what we can do or should do for a friend? Hmm. That's an interesting one. Um, I think what I appreciated most were the take charge people. Like one of my (laughs) friends is very organized and very type A. And so she created a whole spreadsheet of who was going to do each (laughs) feeding at the barn, who was going to clean stalls each day. And so, and she rallied the troops. And I really appreciated that because that was something I just did not have the brain capacity for. Mm -hmm. But I temper that with also being a super introvert and working really hard to set boundaries around my energy. So what I mean Mm. by that is kind of your first instinct when somebody goes through a health crisis or a death in the family or something else is to visit them and bring them food, right? Mm -hmm. And so many amazing people brought us food, which was great, but I just was not up to having a lot of visitors. Right. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) I don't really know how to answer that question because it's so specific, but here's, here's what I would say the common denominator is, is giving yourself permission to ask for what you need. Mm -hmm. And if you need space and you need people to not be in your space and you need to not entertain people, that's okay. And if you do need people to keep you company and to talk to and all of the things, then letting that be okay too. So I think that permission slip is really important, like acknowledging what you need and then asking for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good. Good to hear. 
So so back to your body. You you mentioned earlier that you got a treadmill. Mm-hmm. I had seen that on Facebook. So so you're walking on that and and I know you're thinking of naming your treadmill. Did you name your <laughs> treadmill and if so what? You know, we haven't <laughs> named it yet. We've gotten kind of stuck cuz there are names that I like and names that my husband likes and names that my daughter <laughs> it's so likes. So important what you name your treadmill. Right? I mean, come on. It really is. With all of our pets, we're like we're naming you this, we're naming you that. But with the treadmill. <laughs> Are you one of those people also who names their cars? Um, you know, I've tried, but it just doesn't stick. I, it doesn't stick. I love naming stuff. I think that's one of my gifts in the world. And yeah, not everybody appreciates that gift. That's why you have horses, so you can just keep bestowing names. Yeah, and that's, that's why I need more dogs. <laughs> okay, so, so the treadmill doesn't have a name yet, but you are using it for, for walking. And I mean, what does that look like? three months out. Yeah. So I um, splurged and I got the whole iFit package. And so I'm (laughs) using um, the walking training Mm -hmm. modules is the word that comes to mind videos. Um, (laughs) And I love those. Like there's one guy who takes you on a tour of haunted Savannah, Georgia, and all of these haunted spots and you walk through them. And so that's awesome. Um, my husband has been using the treadmill too. And so he's been doing a lot of walk to run programs, which is super Mm. awesome because that wasn't really something he was interested in before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm doing. Um, I get on the treadmill the days I don't do cardiac rehab. And Mm -hmm. my goal was initially to do at least a mile a day, but now I'm up to, to more than that. Mm -hmm. I like having a big goal and I signed up to do a virtual walk of, Oh my gosh, now my brain. So, okay, here's one of the challenges with heart stuff and I'm sure other medical conditions is the medications that I'm on just make me kind of stupid. (laughs) The Camino Santiago. So I'm I'm doing a virtual walk at the Camino. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I'm about 81 miles in and it's really interesting to to listen to my brain. So one of my one of my skills that I've developed as a coach is being able to recognize the thoughts that I'm having and how they're holding me back because my brain will be like if you were really walking the Camino you'd be walking like 20 miles a day so why aren't you doing that? Uh, <laughs> have you named your Shut brain? Up brain. Yeah. <laughs> I think you should. I think you should give your brain a certain name. I yes. I probably should. Yeah, my brain can be a total jerk. <laughs> well, what is your medical team saying uh, about the road ahead of you? Uh, what's that going to be like for you, Amanda, physically? You know, it's so interesting, Allison. So I don't know if this is cardiologists as a whole, or if this is my cardiologist, but mine is super vague. Like I asked him, (laughs) yeah, and and I need concrete answers, right? Right. And so the last time I saw him was last month and I don't see him again until April. And I said, well, what's the prognosis? Like, what am I looking at here? And he said, well, for most people, aortic dissection doesn't happen again. And I thought, okay, (laughs) great. I didn't reckon, I didn't realize it was a possibility that it could happen again, but thank you. And he said, you just need to not overexert yourself. And I said, what does that mean? Like my, my life is overexerting myself. Like I love to go for a good hard run. I love to ride my horse through a jump course. Like I really love to challenge myself. And he said, well, 
you don't really need to do that. (laughs) It just wasn't helpful. And so I, so I said, okay, well, give me some parameters. Like, Mm -hmm. have you ever seen Olympic show jumping? And he said, yes. And I said, well, I don't do that. (laughs) But but could I? (laughs) Princess Margaret in the house. (laughs) And he's like, well, with that, I think it's more the adrenaline we'd need to to be concerned about. And I said, okay, well, it's been a goal of mine to climb Mount Hood for years. And I would prefer to not give up on that that goal. Can I climb Mount Hood? And he's like, well, you have to balance the pros and cons of that. Like you mm, would reach your goal, right. but you might die. <laughs> he, he didn't actually say that, but that was kind of what I got from him because he's like, well, there's the altitude and then with the exertion and you just mm-hmm. have to decide if the risk is worth it. He so, must have just paid his medical malpractice uh, right? <laughs> payment before he spoke with you. Right, right. Yeah. And then so at that point, I'm just really frustrated because I wanted some concrete answers like with x amount of training if you keep your blood pressure at right. this whatever then then yes so i'm going to keep asking him because mm. i'm he's he's in my life forever now but it, it it is really interesting thinking about stepping back and i i hate that thought mm. of not exert because he was basically like no power lifting and no running up hills <laughs> Like, those are two very different things. <laughs> yes. And I would like to run up hills. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so to, to answer your question, I really, I don't fully understand my prognosis, mm. which just I, this whole, it's kind of a cliche, but this whole experience has really forced me to live in the moment because yes. I just mm-hmm. don't know if my heart's going to stop 30 seconds from now. Like, I just, I don't know what's going to happen. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. What I decided is that when I'm 60, then my mm-hmm. daughter will be 25 and we can climb Mount Hood together because mm. she'll be old enough that, I mean, it, it sucks when your mom dies, no matter how old you are, but she'll be old enough to be somewhat self-sufficient. And then if that is what kills me, that's what kills me. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to give up on my goals because something random could happen to my heart because something random happened to my heart when I, just when I was laying in bed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we all only have the here and now. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So you, you just were made very acutely aware of that. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah. keep yeah. asking that guy. I'm glad you're yeah. going to keep after him. Yeah. 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 I got home and my husband said, well, did you ask about surfing? And I was like, I wouldn't have gotten an answer. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, we look forward to doing some physical activity with you out in Redmond, Amanda, in June. So, so pleased you can join us. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for sharing of yourself today. Thank you. Take good care. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for having me. Our next guest is a repeat guest. She was on the podcast in 2018 talking about becoming a runner in her 40s. Erica Richards ran her first marathon at age 45 after taking up distance running a few years earlier for stress relief after her daughter was diagnosed with a rare kidney disease. A mother runner of two 20-somethings who lives in New Hampshire with her family, Erica has run dozens of half marathons, seven marathons, and a handful of triathlons. Then last September, Erica had a heart attack while on a run. So it's great to have you on the show again, Erica, although I wish it was for a different reason. Thanks for having me. 
Erica, can you tell us a little bit more uh, about your athletic background? Did you do anything athletic-wise before you started running? No, my father was a professor, so academics were really big in our house. So I kind of dabbled in a few things trying to become an athlete. I always wanted to be one. So I took up tennis. Um, We skied as a family. We sailed, which isn't really athletic, but (laughs) we sailed. Uh, We hiked. So we we were doing, you know, the Appalachian Trail, 4,000 footer kind of stuff as a family. But I was never involved in any kind of sports as a child. Mm -hmm. Wow. All right. Well, before we move on, you must tell us about running the Princess Half Marathon in Disney World with your daughter right before the start of the pandemic. I loved the photos of that. Oh, it was absolutely fantastic. It was a dream. She was a senior in high school in Mm. 2020, and they do a capstone presentation. And hers was how to train and run a half marathon because she had never done one. So I trained her, helped train her with a friend of mine who's a certified running coach. And it was the best. We, we practice our walk break so we could take pictures at every mile. We, (laughs) I mean, it just, it was so amazing. I would do it all over again if she would do another one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a heart attack while out on a run, I think that's every runner's nightmare. And, you know, talk about scary. Can you take us back to that day? Sure. About a month before I had run the Beach to Beacon 10K, so um, I had been rehabbing a foot injury. So I've been doing a walk run for probably the better part of a year. And my husband and I went out and I think I was up to like maybe a one minute walk and a nine minute run at this point. And we were about a mile and a half out. We were just doing a three mile. So a mile and a half out and back home. And We got to the turnaround and I just felt this crushing pain in the center of my chest. Mm. And I think it was time for our walk break. And I said, I said, I just need a minute. And immediately he said, do you want me to call 911? And I said, just give me a minute. And, and I, I sort of stopped, I walked and it's just like you see in the, in the movies and on TV where you clutch your chest because you just Mm. want the pain to release Mm. And it wasn't releasing. So he must have asked me a few more times. And finally I said, yeah, I said, call 911. So mm. we, I sat on a stone wall and waited for the ambulance to come to collect me. Mm. 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 Okay. So that got, goes in line with everything we hear. So that it's not something you could have walked off. You knew that something really nasty was going on. <laughs> Yeah, it uh you know, initially the pain was there but not bad, but it just would it wouldn't let go and it got more intense. So I, I knew that something was wrong. Um I think as women and maybe as female runners, we tend to think, oh, you know, it's it'll go away. I'm fine. Oh, this it's nothing. We kind of minimize our symptoms and what's going on in our bodies and there was no minimizing this. I had to deal with it. Mm. Mm. And what do you think? What I, I didn't know that your husband was with you on this run. I mean, did you ever play out how it would have gone down if he hadn't been there? I do. And I have been running solo since my heart attack. Mm-hmm. Back, I don't know, it was probably maybe 10 years ago, I was doing a half marathon and I did not carry a phone with me. And I got injured during the race and I had no way to contact him. And so ever since then, I've always run with a phone. Mm. So 
I would have had a phone with me unless I forgot it for some weird reason, but I almost always carry a phone. Mm-hmm. And now I also carry nitroglycerin. Oh, Ooh. okay. So are those your kind of must-haves when you're on the run these days, those two? They are. They are. Mm-hmm. Okay, Erica, so what happened once you got to the hospital? And I guess so you told me how long you were there for, and it was shocking. Yeah. Well, so first of all, the ambulance drivers were amazing. I, they mm. didn't even, they just scooped me up gave me four baby aspirin and started me on, on the nitroglycerin all before we had even left the curb mm. and started an IV. When I got to the hospital, it, you know, it's packed because all ERs are packed. And the first doctor that came by wanted to give me something for the pain and some acid reflux medication. Mm. Oh, boy. <laughs> At first, I, I wasn't really paying attention. So I was like, okay, whatever. And he said, we're going to draw some blood and check the enzyme that your heart releases when you have a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And he said, that'll take a while to come back. So in the meantime, I'll give you something through a pee. And the nurse came by with the medication. And I said, eh, no, thank you. I don't really want that. I'd rather see what's happening first before we start medicating me. Mm-hmm. And he, the attending physician actually said, well, prob- it's probably just acid reflux. We'll probably be oh. sending you home later today. Mm. So I think that is also fairly common yes. that women get dismissed. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I was out on a run, so I'm relatively fit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could be fitter, but you know. Oh, stop. So yep. mm-hmm. they look at you, my age. I, I look younger than I am some days, mm-hmm. not today. <laughs> stop. Um, <laughs> um, but I'm 50. At the time I was 57. I'm 58 now. And they just, they don't take you seriously so mm. the first labs came back with elevated levels and then the next one even more so and more so and i was actually only in the hospital for 24 hours but oh. it was kind of a whirlwind stay mm. mm-hmm. i just can't believe that 24 hours for a heart attack that's is that normal or is that sort of where we are today maybe we're back thinking about our grandparents and so I think it depends on the type of heart attack that you have. I had what's called an NSTEMI, which is a non-ST elevated myocardial infarction. Mm-hmm. Um, what that means is my EKGs were normal. Um, they assumed I had a blockage because my heart was, you know, obviously telling me that something was wrong. They started me on heparin after my levels kept rising. And the next morning they said, well, either going to do a stress test or a a catheterization to check for blockages. And when my levels just skyrocketed through the night, they came in at like 7 a.m. in the morning and it was a whole team. And it was like, they were all like racing around me and they took me down to the catheterization lab and they checked my heart and everything was fine. So Mm. Hmm. the type of heart attack I had, I mean, I don't, they think I just had a spasm. Your heart's a muscle. So they Mm. think it was just um, a spasm. Because huh. I don't have high blood pressure. I don't have high cholesterol. Oh, wow. I, I, or I was, I'm not anymore. I was pre-diabetic, but controlled just watching it from when I was younger. And I have no history of any heart issues. So I think the 24 hours was, there was nothing to do. Like I mm. didn't have any stents placed. I didn't have any medical intervention. It mm. was here take all of this medication and we'll see you later this week. So I did get in to see the cardiologist a few days later, but mm. Mm. 
so long-windedly answering your question, I think it depends <laughs> on what you have done and what type of heart attack you have. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. But did you need to go to like a rehab center? And what was that like, uh, not only from a physical standpoint, but a mental and emotional one? So I came home. Luckily, my husband took care of me. I had no real limitations, except I had to be careful because I was on all these heart medications that could make me dizzy. So I could have, I guess, fallen over, (laughs) hurt myself. (laughs) So I did go to cardiac rehab for the mental side of returning to my life. Mm. Um, because it, it was, I was pretty shaken by the events. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 So on, on Facebook, you wrote rebraving and recovery is not linear. There will be setbacks, but every setback is an opportunity for a comeback. First off, clue me in. What does rebraving mean? And, t- and, and, and then also please share your return to running and swimming and what that's been like. Sure. Um, one of my friends posted a, a meme about rebraving. It says, I'm, I'm rebraving after an event that unbraved me. And mm. I think that's what happened to me. I just, you know, I, 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 you know, everyone has fears and we try and either deal with them or avoid the things that cause that fear. But I, I had to kind of come back to everything again and realize that I probably was not going to keel over. The doctors were telling me my heart was fine, but my head was, and, and everything else was saying, oh my God, <laughs> what mm-hmm. just happened? So mm-hmm. I just returned to it really slowly. The cardiac rehab helped because you're attached to monitors. There's a doctor, there's nurses, they watch your heart rate. I mean, and I have a, a watch. I can watch my heart rate as well. I knew how to train from all my running. So <laughs> I just, I approached cardiac rehab as a training plan. And I tried to slowly increase my time on different machines in the gym, in the rehab gym. And swimming was tough to get back to. Hmm. Why do you think that was? I want to say swimming was harder than running. Hmm. Because you plop into a lane, nobody knows why you're there or what's going on. You know, there's a teenager on the lifeguard chair and they don't know you just had a heart attack. (laughs) And what if I had one in the middle of the pool? Mm. And the other thing when you're, you can kind of distract yourself when you're running, you know, I don't wear headphones when I run, but I watch nature. I hear the cars there's things going on around you when you're outside or in a gym, there's, you know, there's something happening in a pool. All you hear is your breath. Mm -hmm. And that is hard to listen to when, you know, you had trouble breathing (laughs) when you had your heart attack. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking about the running and the swimming, tell us about Cardiac Athletes. I haven't heard about that organization. So tell us about it and what you were doing with them. So when I had my heart attack, I asked people for advice about where to find people who had something similar to me, unfortunately, everyone's slightly different. So most people who had an NSTEMI, which is what I had, had a blockage and had a stent placed. So they're recovering from their surgery. And, you know, it's like, okay, you're all, you're better now. Go, go back to what you were doing with me with the spasm, or I guess they're they're not really sure what happened, but that's what they think happened. They treat it the same way. So I decided not to do any more testing that might be invasive. 
So anyways, I asked people like, what, you know, where should I turn? And there were a couple of Facebook pages and I found that one. They're all people who are athletic. Some are, you know, previous athletes, uh, old, young, male, female. And I joined their Facebook group and um, they do a lot of group meetups. They do park runs. They, you know, just kind of support each other. So I ordered one of their shirts and I'm going to wear it for my first race back, which will be the end of April. Oh, and what's that? Uh, it is the, it's a 10K in uh, in New Hampshire where I am. Oh. It's just down the street from me. I figured I did a 10K before I had my heart attack. I could probably manage one now, I hope. Good for you. Wow. Yeah. We'll see. So, so I know on Valentine's Day, you got news from your endocrinologist that you're no longer pre-diabetic and what a great heart healthy news that was. So how did being pre-diabetic factor into your health equation? So I'm not sure if it did. It's something, so I had gestational diabetes when I was pregnant with Mm. both my children Uh and my endocrinologist said to me, unfortunately, that means that I am at greater risk of developing adult onset type 2 diabetes, which my grandmother also had. So I have Uh a family history of it. So one of the reasons why I try and eat and exercise is to kind of keep that genetic component at bay. Mm -hmm. I don't think it factored into my heart attack. She doesn't think it did because it's it was pretty well under control. When I was pregnant, I did not have to take insulin. I controlled it with diet and exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it's just one of my risk factors for heart disease. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. Well, Erica, this, uh, the whole thing, I'm so glad you explained it and, and are talking about it. And can you give any parting advice for folks listening, for women who possibly have wondered from time to time, if that's what's going on or simply helping us as we go forward on our runs? Yeah, I think that one of the biggest things that I learned is don't dismiss your symptoms or your Mm -hmm. concerns. Don't think, oh, it's nothing because it could be something and you just don't know. And I think um, in hindsight, I was maybe having issues before my actual heart attack and I just, I just Mm. brushed them off. You know, nobody has time to go to the doctor and, or wait to go to the doctor or, or anything. And I think we just need to take care of ourselves better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, that is the message that we're going to end on. So thank you so much for sharing, Erica. And I look forward to hearing how that 10K goes for you in April. Good luck. Okay, will do. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Wow. E, I'm sitting here feeling very fortunate. So am I. And also, I think very fortunate to have heard both their stories. I'm glad our listeners can hear it because I think the main takeaway for me is, hey, if you're little inside is telling you this is something to pay attention to, pay attention to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kind of, if you see something, say something. Yes. Instead of, instead of a, a random backpack on the subway, if you, you know, if, if your heart's doing one thing and it's not normal, you know, speak up and, and seek attention. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, speaking of hearts, love the run, our uh, virtual race program kicks off on Monday, February 27th. It's a 10-week program, and it is a road trip from Loveland, Colorado to 
town in Ohio that also has love in its name, and I'm drawing a blank on it right now. But it's an amazing program, and it's all about forward motion, as so many things uh, with the Train Like a Mother Club are. And in addition, we have amazing add-on merch, a very pretty hoodie in kind of a millennial pink, dusty rose color. Decided to get on board with that color. And also an amazing hat with this really great sew-on embroidered patch. So really fun to add on and boost your involvement and, and sense of commitment to that 10-week program. So, and there's, we have, as with everything in our store, we have a firm, which is a payment plan, if you want to kind of spread it out over a couple weeks. And to find all the details and to see that gorgeous merch, go to anothermotherrunner.com slash love the run. Again, anothermotherrunner.com slash love the run. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medore from Fire on the Bluff. Amanda, your sound was really good at the start of the answer, and then it kind of faded a little. Did something change with the position of your mic or something? Yeah, I moved it. Sorry. I won't. (laughs) (laughs) Busted. (laughs) I was like, I'm not on camera. They won't know. (laughs) We know all. Okay, I'm going to sit on my hands. Hey, thanks for sticking around for Miles of Books, a brand new bonus monthly segment at the end of the episode that airs on the last Friday of every month. It's a 15 to 20 minute conversation between me and Liz Waterstrott, a coach in our Train Like a Mother Club and one of my occasional co-hosts. So given that this is the debut episode, I, I think it's important that we like kind of set you all up or listening as to um, you know who Liz is, what the focus of this podcast is. And um, so let's jump in. Welcome, Liz. Hi, Sarah. Good to have you here and uh, tell folks a bit about yourself as an athlete. Well, I have no remarkable athletic background I can really tell you about prior to uh, being in my early 20s. So I wasn't the high school phenom, that's for sure. Uh, (laughs) But I think it's important to put that out there. I participated in all sports growing up and I did uh, high school track and cross country. Again, not very remarkably. Uh Uh, And then I found endurance sports when I was out of college. And I started with, like many women, just some local women's triathlon. Mm -hmm. And I really liked it. And so then I started doing duathlons and I did a half Ironman. And since that time, that was back in 1999, believe it or not. uh, Since then, I've completed five Ironmans, probably over 50 half Ironmans, hundreds of triathlons. uh, And I really like it. Mm, I'd say so. I hope you like it. Yeah. <laughs> Some <laughs> or days. Or glutton for punishment. Yeah. <laughs> One or the other. Yeah. yeah. All right. And as my father would say, you make your avocation your vocation. So, so, so tell us about your coaching business and, and what you do for coaching. Well, around 2007, I merged my passion for endurance sports with my background in education. And that's mm. how I started my coaching business. And so okay. these days I coach athletes all ages, all speeds, all over the world. They do triathlons, marathons. Some of them do those crazy ultra runs, ultra cycling <laughs> events. Mm. Uh, and that's that's my uh, full-time job these days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you've been with Train Like a Mother Club for, gosh, has it been seven years, six years? 
I think maybe five years. I don't, I don't think we've, I don't think we're closer to a decade, but yeah, it's been a while though. (laughs) It has been, it has been. (laughs) All right. But we are here to talk. You and I are here to talk about books. You're here to talk about books. I'm just the, you know, the talking head in the chair. So, uh, (laughs) so you have set some amazing goals for yourself with books, specifically nonfiction books. So what prompted you to set goals with books? Well, I've always been a reader. But Mm -hmm. as life got busier, I had less time to read. And I think Mm -hmm. it all culminated in 2020 when I just felt like my brain had turned to mush. (laughs) You know, prior to that point, I did a lot of traveling to go to conferences and continuing education classes. And then like most of us, I just felt like my learning and, and even my life stalled during the pandemic as I was just trying to keep my head above water and manage the daily uncertainty. So as I, I went into 2021, I felt like I needed to do something, like get back to reading, get back to learning. Um, but I also knew that I wouldn't be able to go travel places to do that. And I'm not really much of an online learning person either. So I just decided to turn back to books and set a, a really big reading goal. Mm-hmm. And it was? Uh, it was it was actually at first it was 50 books. And I okay. thought about that. And I said, you know what? That's not really scary. I didn't really feel like Hmm. reading a book a week was much of a stretch or a big ask of myself. Uh, And I felt like I might get lazy with that. Like, you know, maybe put it off to the end of the month and then binge read for a week. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) not that I approach all areas of life like that. But um, I I decided that 100 books sounded really scary, but also (laughs) oddly motivating to me. Mm. So that was the goal. I like that it shows part of your personality that scary equals good to you. Yeah. Well, I think all of us need to be somewhat scared into action to to really put that, dare I say, fire under our butt to get moving <laughs> and stay stay on track with things. Okay. I should also mention that you have three fairly young children as well. So so you got a lot going on in your life. So to say that you're going to read 100 books, you're not just you don't just have all Saturday to sit around and read. <laughs> no, no, this is a good point. But I will say and I know we'll get into this more at another time. Mm-hmm. We all don't have time for anything, but we make time <laughs> for the things that are important to us. And we are mm-hmm. all reading every single day. Every time you open up Instagram, you're reading. Mm-hmm. Every time you open mm-hmm. up Yahoo News, whatever your news source is, I hope it's better than Yahoo. But uh, <laughs> Maybe not, though. Um, we read all the time. And so all I was saying is I'm going to keep my reading to a book in my hands and it's going to be on a specific subject. So mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it was it was a big stretch, but also, you know, something that was definitely doable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And why nonfiction books? Oh, that's a great question. I get a lot of flack about that. Um, I'll tell <laughs> <Keep> you. <going. laughs> yeah, I had to think about that, too. You know, when I was in college, I was the nerd who was always at the campus bookstore reading books from all the different literature classes. And I read, wow. I, I read a ton. I mean, that's mm. kind of what I did. And so I feel like I got fiction out of my system, and I know there's many (laughs) wonderful books out there. There's new ones coming out all the time. (laughs) Uh, I know. I know. But I I feel like, and maybe this is just the little um, obsessive compulsiveness in me, is that when I sit down with a book, I want to take something away from it Mm -hmm, beyond mm -hmm. a good story. And yes, there's plenty of good lessons in fiction. But I just felt like, okay, if I'm going to sit down and invest in this book, maybe I could learn something a little bit 
you know, more meaningful or what that I could use in my business or life. So nonfiction for me fits the bill for that. Mm, mm. And I should also should point out that when you say nonfiction, we're not talking like John Krakauer, you know, the story of people climbing Everest or going into the wilds of Alaska, never coming back. These are, I don't want to say self-help, because I think that kind of minimizes that maybe it's just my own bias against the self-help section of a book store. But I mean, how would you summarize what, like, where do you turn to find the books that you read? So I don't know that I would call it self-help because that that comes up with like cheesy shouting affirmations at yourself type of. Yes, a, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay, so, so it's not uh, just me who has that bias. Okay, very good. No, and, okay. and I have this aversion to going into that section of a bookstore because it just feels a little bit like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a little, mm-hmm. little cheesy, like I said. But mm-hmm. um, I would put these more in the genre of social science, psychology, positive psychology, education, um, cognitive psychology. Uh, mm-hmm. And as far as where I find these books, you know, good books will reference other books. And so mm-hmm. a lot of times reading through a book, I'll, I'll note that the author has referenced another book. Um, I like to go to different researchers or sports scientists and see what they're reading or go to someone like Adam Grant. He's a, a professor at Wharton, uh, mm-hmm. Wharton Business School. And, you know, what is he putting up as far as what he's reading? So when you look to people you admire or you mm-hmm. like their work and you get a sense of what they're reading, you get a lot of great ideas. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I'm sure we will touch back on that topic in subsequent episodes of the show. So tell us what your 2022 goal was and then what your 2023 goal is. Sure. So in uh, 2022, I just committed to reading one book per week for the year. Um, I just felt like, I mean, I'll be honest, reading, I actually ended up reading 106 books in 2021. And and that was mm. big. And that mm-hmm. I felt like I just spent a lot of time in books. And so I wanted to get outside of that and start doing some other outside activities in my free time. <laughs> so I read my 52 books. And then, you know, this year, I'm going to commit to the same number. But I want to start sharing more. And so this this whole idea for us having this conversation every month is a really, really great because it allows me to do that. But also I've just been posting little reviews on my Instagram stories every time I read mm-hmm. a book, you know, just maybe mm-hmm. three things I learned from the book and maybe mm-hmm. just some other discussion. Um, so just sharing more about it. Oh, good. Well, I will link to your Instagram account in the notes. But for people who are Audible listeners, uh, tell us what your Instagram handle is. Oh, Liz, Liz Liz.Waterstrat. Okay. All right. So enough talk about the books in the, you know, theoretical, let's get down to brass tacks with this. (laughs) So talk to us about maybe two books you read in February and give us some takeaways, like what you say you're sharing on Instagram. Sure. So I chose two books. One is called Quit by Annie Duke, and the other is called Get It Done by Eilat Fishbach. And I chose Mm -hmm. these two books because they come from different ends of the goal achievement spectrum, which Mm -hmm. felt timely because most of us early in the year set goals and also by the second month of the year have probably let go of most of those goals already (laughs) and gotten Mm -hmm. a little off track. So I (laughs) <laughs> Wait, but I do have to share. I do have to share it before Ooh. we go on that you, I've told you this, but that that uh, Annie Duke used to live about four houses down from us here, and she and my husband were quite good friends. So yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I well, I was mm-hmm. going to bring that up. I actually thought you were going to sneak in something about pickleball here, Sarah. 
And and I was just going to quit this podcast. (laughs) No, let the record show I have not and will not mention it. I'm not even going to say what you're talking about. No, but uh, my my husband, Jack, and Annie were quite good friends. And then her youngest daughter, Annie, is the mom of four. And her youngest daughter was friends with my oldest daughter way back in the day. Ah, Yes. Interesting. Uh But as you've you've led on to, Quit the Power of Mm -hmm. Knowing When to Walk Away by Annie Duke. Annie Duke has a degree in psychology from Columbia. I believe she walked away from it and she became a professional poker player. Yep. Um, and so now she's sort of known for the science of smart decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also written Thinking in Bets and How to Decide. And I think I liked both of those books a little better than this one. I felt like this mm. one was a little long. So I will put that out there. Mm. Mm-hmm. We can talk about my book page rule another time. But this one comes in at 250, which is a little high for my liking. Mm-hmm. But I did like it. And I will say, if you like this book, you will also probably like The Biggest Bluff by Maria Konnikova, which again goes into decision making mm. and also brings in some poker playing, which is fascinating. Poker is like a sport. Uh, mm. So super interesting. But um, yeah. the crux of the book here is she says that success does not lie in sticking to things. It lies mm. in picking the right thing to stick to and then quitting the rest. Mm. 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 Yes. Yeah, so the whole idea of quitting, um, it goes against a lot of, I think, what we tend to highlight in our culture, this idea that winners never quit. And Duke Mm -hmm. argues that winners quit all of the time, and that's one of the reasons why they win. They, as the famous uh, Kenny Rogers said, know (laughs) when to hold them. them, Know when to hold them. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yep. Now we're going to put that into everyone's head for the rest of the day. That's right. You're welcome. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. All right. And the name of the other book by Islet Fishback? So that book is called Get It Done, Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation. So Fishback is a psychologist at the University of Chicago, and she conducts human motivation research. And and this is a a comprehensive guide, a how-to guide for how to build and keep motivation uh, to get things done. And I will say this is not an easy read, and and it's very rich in research. Mm. And she provides, like any good researcher, provides plenty of examples. And so I would say, you know, this is not a book you're going to sit down and read cover to cover. This is a book you should sit down with. You should dig into one chapter at a time. Read the initial research, forget all the stories and examples she tells. I felt like at times they were a bit cumbersome. But Mm. bring along a pen and a piece of paper and go through the exercises. She has this wonderful list of Mm. questions at the end of every chapter that really help you get to the bottom of how do we set goals that are right for us? Um, How do we know what's right for us? And then how do we stay on track with these goals? And how do we get back back on track should we... Mm. um, you know, start to deviate. Mm, interesting. That brought to mind, though, how much do you mark up books when you're reading them, Liz? Excessively. Oh, good. Oh, oh good. my gosh. You dog ear pages, underline, write, highlight. You don't want a book from me. It's a disaster. <laughs> do you write Do you write things in the margins to yourself? or Yes, that, that all over the place. Yeah. And then do you ever go back and look at those notes to yourself? All the time. Oh, I mm-hmm. love that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, they're also kind of like little um, time capsules. I 
was an English major. And so I, and I have a couple of my um, textbooks from when I was at Colgate and uh, I'll go back and, and I'm like, wow, that was really insightful. Did I think of that on my own? Is that what the professor said? <laughs> so it just, it's almost like they're notes to your, yeah. you know, to your future self, you know, somehow. Yeah. This is also a big reason why I have to have the book in my hand. I know people love audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and reading, you know, on a Kindle, I can't mm-hmm. do it. I tried. I, I can't listen to books either. I can listen to podcasts, but a, a book, like I want to see the words. I want to underline them, go mm-hmm. back to them, uh, mm-hmm. and, and reread them. So I need that book in my hand. Mm-hmm. And do you always carry a book with you? Oh yeah. Isn't that normal? <laughs> <laughs> this Obvious is not normal Sarah, next. <laughs> i do i i always have a book um and i i got that from my mom my mom uh you know she she was widowed twice and so she said to mm. me you will never be alone if you have a book with you so my mom mm. was notorious for having this giant stack of books on her front car seat giant stack of books in her bedroom she always even when she comes to my house today mm. she'll have a book in her purse Mm, I love that. You'll never be alone if you always have a book with you. Uh, That's fabulous. That's fabulous. That's the note we are going to end on. And folks, if you like this miles of books, please listen to our next episode on March 24th, 2023. And thanks for doing this with me, Liz. It's fun. Thank you. 